Good morning, everybody. I don't know about you, it's been a long weekend, a good one, but a long one. I need some stronger stuff this morning, so uh, I'll be uh, sipping on a little bit of caffeine as we go along. And uh, look, there's been a lot of things this last year has meant to a lot of people. Uh, there's been a lot of good for some folks, and there's been some difficult for folks in our faith family. Uh, there has been uh, celebratory moments, and there's been moments where together we have mourned and we've had sorrow. And uh, I want us to look not only to what God has been doing in our midst, but I want to look today, this morning, to what God is planning to do in our midst. And we don't see it all clearly, but we do know we have some promises from the Lord, and I want us to bank on those promises always. So if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Joshua chapter 3, Joshua chapter 3, and I want us to look at the Word together. Um, I've entitled this sermon today, Looking Ahead to the Future. And it uh, doesn't mean that I can give a clear picture of that today for any of us, but I can tell you that uh, what we have been through shapes us. What we have come through, how God has worked in us through things has shaped us, but ultimately our identity is not found in what we've been a part of, what's happened to us, or what we've even been through. Our identity is always found in Christ, and He is alone our future. And so this morning, as we look at Joshua chapter 3, we're going to see a story for the, the people of God where they had maybe thought lost, or maybe they thought the hope was lost, maybe they thought that God had forgotten about them, but this is the moment where things turned for them. And I'm not here today to say that we are the, 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 the living out of this passage, you know, thousands of years later. What I'm here today is to show you that when God does call us to move, when he brings hope back to a people, uh, our response is the same as what it should have been for these folks in this time and that we see in Joshua and in the Israelites. So let's take a moment to read it. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 6 as our main text, and then uh, we will go from there. So look at it with me, Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan. He and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. That's about a thousand yards. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Let's pray together. Father, we need you. Ever and always, we need you and your grace and your mercy towards us in Christ, applied to us by your Holy Spirit. And today is no different. We need your grace and mercy even now. Father, I pray that you would speak through your word to us, that we would be changed, that we would be obedient to your leading, that we would see how we should shift or change or even change directions for you, Lord, and that as a church we would see the hope we have 
that you've secured for us in Jesus. Lord, we ask all of this in his name. Amen. Got a little bit of a stuffy nose this morning, so bear with me. I'm sure none of y'all are experiencing that right now as it's rampant everywhere. Uh, let me just say a little bit about what's going on here. If you recall, and you may not remember the whole story, we're not going to cover it all, but God had led his people that he had called to become his people to be a blessing to the nations, that through his people there would come a blessing, ultimately Jesus be that blessing, but they were to bless the world with the hope that's found in God alone. And there came a famine in the land, and they went to Egypt to get help, and they stayed there. And over time, they not only became those who had received help and assistance from another nation, but they became enslaved to that nation. And they began to cry out to God asking for help because it had gotten so difficult and so overbearing from the ones who lorded over them. And they cried out. We don't know exactly how long they cried out necessarily. We know they were there for a long time, for generations. And as they cried out and cried out, finally God responded to their cries and sent Moses to go and rescue his people. And Moses reluctantly went to do that. And as Moses approached Egypt and got there, the people even then, though, as they'd been calling out to God for salvation, did not want to do what Moses was calling them to do, to step up and to leave. They're afraid of what might happen. And Pharaoh didn't want to let his people, God's people, go. So he, God, through Moses, brought ten plagues to the nation of Egypt, each one progressively worse, until the last one brought to death the firstborn of every family that did not have the blood of a sacrificial animal across the door to show that they were of the Lord. And then Pharaoh relented and let God's people go. But then he changed his mind again, and he chased after them into the wilderness, and they had their back against the sea, and they were waiting for, to see what God was going to do in their midst at that point. And God told Moses to raise his hand, and when Moses raised his hand in the staff, God parted the waters, and they went through the sea on dry ground. And when Egypt's army went in after them, God brought the waters down upon them and saved the Israelites. God brought salvation to his people. But then they rebelled <laughs> in their sinfulness. And he let them, instead of taking them to the promised land, he let them wander for 40 years. Now they're rebelling was not just in the sinfulness along the way, but when they got to the promised land, they sent spies out to spy out the land, and God had told them to go into the land, and when the spies came back, they told them there were giants in the land, we would not be able to overcome them, and they refused to be obedient to the Lord, and he sent them back into the wilderness for 40 years until all those of that generation were gone, including Moses. And then we pick up the story here with Joshua. Joshua sent in the spies back to Jericho, and they went in, and Rahab the harlot helped them, and they made their way back, and they said, God's going to give us this land, and they were obedient, and they stepped up to the Jordan River to cross into the promised land finally, and this is where we picked up the story. Read it with me one more time, and we're just going to unpack it. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. And remember this, 
that God's presence with his people had been in the tabernacle. And whenever they would set up shop, in a sense, for a while, the tabernacle would be placed in the inner room, the Holy of Holies, is where God would meet with the leader, Moses, at the time. And in that Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, which inside of that, at least in part of what was inside of that, was the Ten Commandments, God's law given to them. And they had that inside the Ark of the Covenant. And so whenever God told them to move, the priests would have these poles that would go through this giant box they called the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And they would pick that up, not touching the Ark because it would kill them. You can't touch God's holy presence and be unholy. It will destroy you. And so they would pick it up and they would walk and the people would follow behind. And God would lead them in a fire by night, pillar of fire by night, and in a cloud by day. That was his presence over that as he led them along. So when they saw the ark, they knew that's where God is. Is that that's God's presence among us in this place. So in verse 3 when it says, God, and, and they commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits. A cubit is about 18 inches. That's about 1,000 yards. 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. They've been circling in the desert for years and years and years. And now Joshua says, Follow the Ark of the Covenant. Stay back a thousand yards, but follow it so you can see where you're going because we're going to a place we've never been before. You may think, well, the people are already over that way, then they came over to Egypt. Yeah, a couple of generations ago. Nobody in this generation had seen the promised land. Nobody in this generation had seen where God was leading them to fulfill His promise to them. Verse 5, Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Look, I'm just going to unpack this one verse at a time for us. And I want you to understand that when they did that, though, before we get there, we're going to read it later. When they took up the Ark of the Covenant and the priests set their feet in the waters of the river of Jordan, which was overflowing in its banks in this time of year, broader, wider, scarier, faster, when they put all their feet into the water, God stopped the waters up at Adam a long way away. And the waters went up like a wall, just like he did when he brought them out of Egypt. And as long as they stood in the river there, it became dry ground, and the people of Israel went across into the promised land, just like he had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. And they then set up a thing for that. They put giant riverbed rocks up into a pile, one for each of the 12 tribes. And it says, even to this day, as this was written, you can go by and see that as a reminder of God's promise and his deliverance and his salvation. And that's the kind of God that we serve. And in verse 1, when it says, Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. I want you to recognize that that journey must have looked daunting to the people. They were coming out of 40 years in the wilderness. They had not experienced much of what they were about to experience, which was a lot of fighting. God was going to bring them up against giant cities like Jericho. 
And he was going to bring it down, not because of their might, but because of his might and glory as they just marched around and shouted for his glory and praise. And he brought down the walls of Jericho. They didn't know that, though. They see mighty cities that they're going to have to overcome to take this land. They see a giant river rushing that they have to carry their babies through. They have to get their animals across. They see all this in front of them that looks impossible, that looks overwhelming. And you can imagine that some of them, after 40 years in the desert, are thinking, is this really going to happen now? Is it ever going to happen? Is what we're hearing really going to become what it's supposed to be? We've heard this before. God always fulfills His promises. And here we see that even when the journey seems daunting, we can trust the Lord whose plans for us are eternal. They're eternal. They cannot be overcome. We might face seemingly impossible obstacles as this church or as the individuals who make up this body of believers, like the River Jordan. But with our Lord, there's nothing that cannot be overcome. We might face immense opposition at times, like they faced at Jericho and other cities. But our God remains sovereign even over that. And we know that if He deems something to happen, we just need to follow and walk in His ways, and He will be the Almighty. We just need to be the obedient. Whatever we face, we must set our eyes on the future. And by the way, our future is Jesus coming to take us home. Look at verses 2 and 3. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. I don't know about you. I struggle with not knowing all the details. Anybody else in here like that? Detail people? See Terry over there? He's, he's an IT guy. I know you like details, right, Terry? Uh, anybody over here, too? Keela, you like the details? I know, yeah. What, Jim? I know you're always asking good questions because you want the details. I want the details, too. I have a hard time moving forward until I have an understanding of things often. And that's the way I, I guess that I was created. I'm created to, to understand those things and to see the pieces in order to see the whole. But most of the time in my life, it's just like this. We can't see all the details and how it's all going to play out, but we're not called to see the details. We're called to be obedient to the Lord. We don't have to have it all figured out. We have to follow the Lord. The same was for Abraham. We already talked about him a few weeks ago. Abraham, when he was Abram, he was told, hey, I'm calling you to go out and I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing to all the nations and in your name they will be blessed. If they bless you, I will bless them. If they curse you, I will curse them. And he says, get up and go to a place I will show you. Not get up and go down to Route 6, Box 238. <laughs> but get up and go to the place that I will show you. Trust me and follow me. And that's what's going on here. The people are being called to trust him and follow him. Not have it all figured out. Not know how it's going to go. Trust the Lord and follow the Lord. That's our part. And the ark is the focal point here. Not the river. Not Jericho. But the presence of God in the midst of his people is the focal point. They say, he doesn't say, look at the city, look at the river. He says, put your eyes on the ark, and when you see it go by, get up and follow. That's how we're called to be as well. We must set our eyes on the Lord and follow his lead, period, whatever that means for us. Even when we can't see ahead, our part is to be remaining 
focused on his presence with us and remain obedient in the moment he speaks to us. Like that old song, wherever he leads, I'll go. I won't sing it, but I'm going to quote it. You're welcome, especially this morning. Take up thy cross and follow me, I heard my master say. I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender your all today. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Isn't that right, church? Say it with me. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I will go. Is that our prayer daily? Is that our hope daily? Is that our promise to the Lord daily? And Lord, wherever you lead, we will go, Father. Alexander McLaren, he's a pastor, he had a statement about not always knowing the future and seeing all the pieces. He said this in one of his sermons, God often opens his hand one finger at a time. He gives us this much, later on this much, later on this much, and finally one day he reveals the totality. I think at least in part he does that because he knows I try to jump ahead, right? Maybe some of you too. He gives us what we need when we need it and not sooner often. That's because the scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 that we walk by faith, not by sight. There might be a lot to overcome in the future of our church or in your life personally. But all we have to do is be obedient and follow the Lord. We ain't got to have it all figured out. Isn't that good news? We can trust in the Lord. He's already putting things into place in our lives. So let us set our eyes on the future and be reminded that the future is not the promised land. The promised land was to show us that that means being with the Lord in His presence and peace, which is the eternal promised land that's coming when Jesus comes back to take us home. That's our future. That's our future, no matter what happens in this place. Look at verse 4. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, between you and the Ark of the Covenant, about 2,000 cubits in length, about 1,000 yards. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Let's take a moment and think about that. Why do you think he is saying stay 1,000 yards away? One, we've got a lot of people going. Don't need to kind of trample over and catch up and get too close to the Ark. Think you know where we're headed. Don't think you know where we're headed. Trust the Lord that he would give clarity as needed for that. But secondly, to be reminded, something that we often forget, especially in this day and age, especially in a place where the gospel is talked about simply in the terms of God's eminence to us in Jesus and not also talked about in his transcendence and in his sovereignty. There's an element that we should remember from back in the day that Jesus is our friend, that God is our friend who saves sinners. He is our Father, but He's also the holy, righteous, good, and just God who brings just recompense to those who have not put their hope in Him, to those who have not been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, who have not been covered in the righteousness of Christ. He is the God who is all-knowing. He is steadfast in His love and mercy toward His children, but He's also just and the judge of all people. He is patient and long-suffering with us, but He's also the all-powerful King of kings and Lord of lords who will bring the recompense against the wicked. 
And listen, brothers and sisters, we are quick to talk about him and all his goodness towards us and his kindness, but I believe many in our age have forgotten, have forgotten that he is still the fearsome, fearsome creator and sustainer of the universe. There was a woman one time when I was young in my faith and young in ministry who, uh, I can't remember if it was me or if it was the lead pastor that, that preached a sermon and talked about the fear of the Lord in it. And uh, she came up to me, though, and talked about it afterwards and talked about how she doesn't fear the Lord. There's no fear in her heart. And I understand that, and I think that that is good. We don't have to fear the Lord and the just recompense that we should engage in and have because we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. But let me tell you something as a reminder. When we step into His presence, we will be overcome with fear as well because He is a mighty, awesome God. And it is good to fear the Lord. The Bible says that fear is the beginning. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so fearing the Lord is a good thing. And yes, He is our Father. And He loves us. And He will embrace us like His children. And He will carry us under the wings of His security and safety. But let us not ever forget that He is an all-sovereign, powerful, just God who strikes fear in the hearts of all who step into His presence. You see no one stepping into His presence that does not respond in that way except the enemy. Except the enemy. And even then, He still obeys when He's told to do something. There is no one like Him, and all glory is due Him. Everything we have, we owe to Him. He is the only one who deserves all praise and glory and love and adoration. This is the God of our salvation. This is the one who delivers and always fulfills His promises. The God of our ongoing sanctification. The one who's still sovereign even in our moments of struggle. And His will cannot be thwarted or overcome. And we have become His people, purchased in the precious blood of His Son Jesus on the cross. And He has an eternal plan for us and for this church. And He is not done with us or this church. And He will not waste the precious blood of His Son that He spent to purchase this church out of sin into grace. He is not done. He will never be done with us until we are in His arms and we are enjoying Him forever. And He has made us the ambassadors of His kingdom. And He has given us the message of reconciliation. And He has called us to proclaim that to the lost. And there's 100,000 people here in this county And at best estimates, there's at least 70,000 that don't even attend church on Sunday mornings. And yes, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but if you're not caring about being with those that have been bought in the blood of Jesus and worshiping the Savior together, you've missed the whole point of what we're going to do for all of eternity. And so I'm concerned for the souls of many who do not gather with faith families, and even for some who do. And our job is to be the place where the ark was where God resided, now He resides in us. And our job is to live out the mission of making disciples, baptizing those who have come to faith, teaching them to obey all that God's commanded. That's our role, ours together, not the pastors, not the Sunday school teachers, all of our roles. And it comes a lot easier when you just remember this. That can be overwhelming. Just remember this, wherever he leads, we go. Whatever he says, we do. Whatever he calls, we're obedient. 
Look at this again, Joshua 3, 4. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, the covenant, the, the Ark of the Covenant, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Remember that. Four, here's why. Because you've not gone this way before. You've not seen what you're about to see. You've not experienced what you're about to experience. You've not been a part of what you've been promised. You've not tasted of the good that I've told you you would have. All you've known is what could be, what could be, what should be. And I'm about to lead you in it, and you're going to see it and experience it, but you don't know where you're going. So keep your eyes on me, for you've not been this way before. Listen, church, I believe God is leading us as a faith family into a new place as well. I believe he's been at work in that for a long, long, long time. This church has been going through a continual process of sanctification for its entire existence, and we will until Jesus comes back and glorifies us. And that has not changed. But I believe that he's already made us into a new people when he saved us, whatever time frame that was for you. And you're a new new creature, and we are a new creation as the church. And he has been recently even again, reshaping us as the church and remaking us into the church He desires us to be. I have no doubt He will fulfill His plans, and nothing can overcome that. And I believe even now that He's preparing us to lead us across the river. He's preparing us to step into the new land where He will use us for His glory, where He will use us to do whatever it is He calls us to do, and we will respond with, Yes, Lord, Yes, Lord, we will trade our sorrows for the joy that's come in the morning. And we will bless the name of the Lord, no matter if we suffer, no matter if it's hard. And Jesus will be lifted high in our midst because we will lift him high continually. And his Father will do the same through us because Jesus has paid it all on the cross. He's provided the way. And he will use us for his glory and for our joy as we work together for his kingdom. But let us not forget that our prize is not the numbers of people we will see come to faith. Our prize ultimately is not the the immensity of work we get to participate in. Our prize ultimately is not our reputation that others see us as. It never has been, never will be. It's always the Lord Jesus himself. He is our prize. And if he's not enough, we'll never see any of the other because we'll be chasing after idols instead of chasing after the king. And he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Look at verse 5. Here's something we've got to do, though. Verse 5. And Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. That's the command. Consecrate yourselves. What does he mean by that? That word consecrate is a very good word. Some of you know it, others don't, just in case. Let me say this, to consecrate ourselves means to set ourselves apart for God's purposes, to be made holy. And that's a unique term because I don't know about you, but I've been trying to be holy for a long time and it hasn't worked out so well for me. I still sin. I'm not perfect. So it's a weird command that we're to consecrate ourselves, but we are to do as best we can to fight sin As John Owen said, lest sin be killing you, but at the same time recognize that it's God's sovereign hand that enables any consecration to happen. He makes us holy, but he commands us to be holy. But we, brothers and sisters, if we want to step into this new land as a new effort and energy, a new adventure, we have to 
have to, have to consecrate ourselves. Let us kill the sin. Let us fight sin. And that has to happen in the context of community. It will not happen if we don't have others in our lives that speak love and grace to us in the form of the gospel. We need one another. and We need to be honest. We need to share our struggles. We cannot do it alone. We weren't made to do it alone. We need God and we need others. So let us roll into one another in that way. Let us join together weekly in small groups and let us put our hope in the Lord together. Let us gather and have people we tell the hard things to and ask them to speak the hard things back. This is the only right response for us who have truly experienced the full grace and mercy of God in the face of Jesus is, yes, Lord, I will lean into you and I will stop sinning in these ways by your power and your power alone. See the unity of the people who before were infighting amongst themselves. If you go back and read all the stuff before this, and now they're unified. We can't go over there. They're going to kill us. They're huge. They're going to take us down. Look at the obstacles that are coming. And now they're saying, yes, Lord. He says, you follow us. They don't even say yes. They just get up and go. That's the unity that we need to see. And I think we're seeing in our church right now. God has created a unity amongst us any way necessary to get us to the place where he will use us in some way that we cannot even see in this moment. But all we need to know is, yes, Lord, and we follow you. Isn't it wonderful to know that God can take crap and junk and bad and turn it into beautiful? Beauty from ashes. That's the business God is in. Our hope remains in the Lord. Amen? Our hope is always in the Lord and only in the Lord. So let us endeavor to join together. Specifically this month of January, we're talking about prayer. Let's endeavor to take a day a week and fast and pray and seek the Lord for the rest of January as it comes upon us. Let us pray and learn how to pray together. Let's pray for our future as the church. Let's pray for our church members. Let's pray for those who are not yet our church members, but who will be one day in the future. Let's pray for those who do not have the gospel yet. You think everybody here has heard the gospel. They've heard a gospel, oftentimes a false gospel or a gospel light, as I call it. But they have not all heard the true gospel of Jesus, that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Not that you can get yourself up by your bootstraps. Not that you've got enough in you and God just gives you enough grace to bring you into heaven. No, no, no. That God needs to save us all from our sins. And the only way is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. For he alone is our hope. That is our only future. That is our only grace. The only kindness we can find and all the goodness we can afford to others. So let us endeavor to be the church who consecrates ourselves, brothers and sisters, and prepares for the journey that's ahead. For there are good things coming in the Lord's work. And he has promised he will fulfill. We know that because the one who is holy and righteous, who did not deserve to die, he went under the waters instead of just through the waters, and he died in the flood of our sin. And then he rose up in his own power by having victory over Satan's sin, death, and hell for us. The greatest crosser of the river, Jesus Christ. That he endured the wrath and the destruction that we should have. And instead of God parting the waters for him, he brought them all down on his head for us. And if he would do that for us, we've been bought in the blood of Jesus, we can rest assured he will fulfill his promise. Listen to what happens, Joshua 3, 14 through 17. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, 
bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Can you imagine what that looked like to the spies who were probably watching from Jericho? You know, can you imagine? They would have been watching, I'm pretty sure, because they were spies all over the place. They'd be looking in the land to go back and tell people. And when they saw them coming and setting up camp across the river for three days, they would have been seen. A nation of people. And as they're looking at them, wondering how they're going to get across that river, what are they doing over there? Maybe they're just setting up close to the river, they're going to go away. Instead, what do they see? They see this giant box that's ornate come out with these people carrying it on poles like you would a king. Because it is the king of kings, right, in their presence. And they step out into the water, and they're thinking, what are they doing? This is crazy. They're going to drown. And right then, the water stops so far upriver, they can't even see the water anymore. It just stops. And there's dry ground, and this whole nation comes across that. Comes across rejoicing and worshiping the Lord. It must have been fearful for the people of Jericho. But it wasn't fearful for the people of the Lord. They were walking behind their God in his presence. And that's what we're called to do, brothers and sisters. So let us look at this next year that's coming upon us as the year of God's glory and grace shown through the face of Jesus and the people of his church, 12th Street. Let us be a people that walk consecrating ourselves, leaning into Jesus, making sure he gets the glory and we receive all the joy in being a part of his work. If you've never, ever put your hope in Jesus, I know I'm talking to a room mostly of people I've seen many times, but look, I was in church for decades before I came to faith. Maybe you think that you've known the Lord and you've walked with Him and you do all the right things, but if you are not walking and enjoying His presence, you may not be His. The most fearful words you can hear on that day when judgment comes is, depart from me, I never knew you. May it never be, brothers and sisters. May today be the day of repentance for all of us, maybe for the first time for salvation or maybe for the umpteenth time for whatever God's telling you to do that you're refusing to do, whether stopping a sin or being obedient and walking in faith. Today's a day for you to deal with the Lord before we go into this new year. Let us lay it all down before him. Lay down our bitterness. Lay down our struggles. Lay down our hurts. Lay down our suffering. Lay down our doubts, lay down our hang-ups, lay down our bad habits, lay down the sin that so easily entangles, and let us pick up only our eyes to Jesus as the perfecter and author of our faith. I will pray for all of us now, but you need to keep praying yourself. If you need to talk to anyone, we will be here until you're gone. And this altar is open if you'd like to come and pray here. You don't have to, but you can. And if the Lord moves in your heart, you better obedience is the sign. It doesn't earn our way. It's the sign of our faith that God's given us, that we walk with him. Let us walk with him this morning.
Father, I thank you for your goodness, for your kindness, for your mercy and your love, even for those who are unlovely like me, like us. Lord, you think so highly of us that you would give your one and only Son who's worth more than all of creation. And Lord, we know we're not that lovely. We know that we are not that deserving at all, not deserving in the least. But Lord, we thank you for your mercy and grace. And we ask that you would consecrate us, give us the power and the strength to fight sin, to walk holy, to be set apart, to set our eyes on you, to follow with immediate obedience, to do whatever it takes for you alone deserve the glory and honor and praise that comes of it. You alone deserve our adoration, not the things we received yesterday, not the things we watch, not not the things we put our hope in for the future of our family. For you alone are our hope, Lord. So make it real for us, Lord. Show yourself to us. Make it so that we cannot deny your presence in our lives, that we would see you and taste you and know that it is good, Lord, to give us hope. Make clear your direction, and Lord, we will follow. And we ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. We take a moment now before we go any further. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. You receive this in your seat or around you, in the back of the seat in front of you. You may not have ever had the Lord's Supper with another church. If you're visiting with us today, that's okay. If you're a believer, you're welcome to take. We're all washed in the same blood. What I want you to do is be careful (laughs) as you open this up. It's a little jerky at times. Open up that top part and get the bread out. Then you can open up the other part and be prepared to drink. We're starting off closing one year, starting off a new year. And I don't want to diminish the hurts and the struggles and the suffering that some of you have endured. It's real. It's hard. It's overwhelming. It's ongoing. I'm not here to diminish that at all. And I don't think we should ever diminish that. You don't just get over some things. But somehow the Lord brings us through them. And he changes us in them. To make us somehow better and more like Jesus. I don't understand it, but I see it happening every day. And so when we partake in the Lord's Supper, part of what we need to be reminded of is that no matter what we've gone through, no matter how difficult it's been, or even in the good times, there's still something better coming. Then one day he'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more crying or mourning. We will just enjoy him and his presence together. One of the things I pray every night with my kids is I pray that God would save the souls of my children so that we could be together with God, you Lord Father, forever. This is a taste of that today. This marriage supper of the Lamb is foretasted now as we celebrate the coming of the Christ who died for our sins, who was broken for us, whose blood washes away our sins as we are unified in Christ. And we say, whatever, Lord, you want, I'm dying to self today. I'm living in you for your glory. Paul reminds us, as he tells the church at Corinth, that he received from the Lord what he also delivered to us, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
Thank you, Lord, for giving your life for us. Thank you for giving yourself on the cross. May you be edified and glorified and made much of through us, Lord. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul goes on and says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So come, Lord Jesus. Come, take us home when you are ready and make us right with you. Make us useful for your glory. Consecrate us for your mission and for your adventure that you've set before us and help us to walk in your ways. That we would walk confessing our sins and falling at the feet of your son every time he stops and that we would say yes Lord and pick up and move every time you point a different direction. Lord help us to become the church that you've always meant for us to be, to become the individual people, the men and women, the brothers and sisters in Christ that you've always set for us to be. Lord help us, lead us, empower us for your glory and our joy and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.